sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Becky Kovach. This time we are talking all about Murder on the Orient Express. We are going to discuss the book and the 2017 film. There have been quite a few as far as theatrical releases and made-for-TV releases go. So this book is telling a pretty popular story. Wouldn't you agree, Becky? Yeah. Uh, it's Like you said, it's been made t- into TV movies. It just got a theatrical release recently. Um, so I would say it's done pretty well for itself. Yeah. And we're going to go ahead and start the discussion off with the book since that is the source material and by far the oldest material for this story since the publication date on the book is January 1st, 1934. Dang. Yeah. This is certainly one of the oldest books I've read in a while because, you know, when you're in high school and you have to read all of the classics and, you know, the Hemingway this and Hemingway that and even older books than Hemingway books (laughs) that you just can't keep track of how old they are, you sort of want something new to read after that. And this, I think, didn't read like an old book either in a lot of ways. No, I mean, there's a little there's like little things here and there where you can tell that it is a little bit dated. Yes. Like the way they refer to some of the the places that they're traveling through. Right. But for the most part, it doesn't feel old at all which I think is one of the reasons why it's it's kind of stood up over the years and why people are still talking about it enough to want to make a movie out of it in 2017. Well, now it's 2018. <laughs> well, yes, but it's not like people don't travel by train still. You know, it's something you do quite frequently and every day. Yeah, so it's still a common mode of transportation. So it's not outdated in that sense either. And what I felt really resonated with the book is you really never know who it's going to be by the end of the book because they've gone through so many different options. And it's like, okay, well, I wasn't expecting that by the end of it. You know, you're sort of expecting this exact answer and then you just get this like ginormous answer instead. Yeah, it's one of the few books where as I'm reading it, like, usually I'm pretty good at guessing who the murderer is before the end of the book. Yeah. And this is one of the few books that has kept me guessing up until the very end. And then the ending completely shocked me. We were texting back and forth when I was reading this book because it's the only one of hers I own. But I did go to the library and go back and read like her very first novel. And she definitely has that way of writing where you are like, okay, Who on earth is it going to be? It's like much harder than playing a game of Clue. (laughs) Yeah, much harder, which I I do love the game Clue. Um, So I'm glad you brought that up. But (laughs) yeah, she's really, really great at keeping you guessing. And her solutions to the crimes within the books are always so creative and so inventive and just nothing that you would ever expect, which is one of the reasons that I love reading everything that she writes or has written. Yeah, and a lot of her novels have the same detective throughout them. And I'm probably going to butcher the name, but I was trying to like make note of make a mental note of it when I was watching the movie. I think it's Hercule Poirot. Uh, something like that. I, I've always said that's it as close Her- as I'm going Hercule to get. Poirot. Okay. 
it, it will be one of those two for the remainder of yeah. the episode. We'll see how yes, it goes. It <laughs> or we'll just call him by his first name. Yeah. But he's this, you know, famous detective. Like, people recognize him when he goes places. And even if they don't necessarily remember his name, they're like, oh, you're that detective. <laughs> yeah. And they're, like, familiar with his work. Yeah. So I feel like that gives him sort of this different presence that a lot of detectives typically don't have because you know not many people know the names of detectives just because they solve crime and everything no so it's one of those things where it's interesting to see how she incorporates his character so well into these different situations and in particular this one because it takes place on a train so you literally cannot leave it's not like someone could just sneak away after killing someone or anything like that. It's like, you know, you're sitting in the room with them. And the way everyone reacts when he tells them that, it doesn't give anything away at all. And that's what I thought worked so well for this. It's like, no matter how much of the story you were getting or how many different suspects you had in mind, it just was not what you were <laughs> expecting at all. Yeah. I think the first time I read the book was when I was in like third or fourth grade. And it was one of my favorite books back in the day. Very mature book for a third or fourth grader. (laughs) Yeah, probably. But it kind of started my love for, you know, detective novels and mysteries. And I started reading more of Agatha Christie's work after that. But I just remember reading this one and just being completely amazed by the end of it. Yeah, definitely. And it's not a long book either. I think most of her books are around sort of the same rough page range too, because I went to the library, like I said, and I checked out her first book, but it's like all of the subsequent books on the shelf were roughly the same size. It's not like, you know, a Stephen King where you're going to have something the size of the talisman and then something the size of like the gunslinger or something like that and have these like drastically different page numbers to get through. So have you read a ton of her books or have you still only put a small dent in her seemingly large list of books that she's written? I, I've i read other stuff. I think it's only a small dent though, just because of how much she has written. Um. I always kind of veer more towards the Hercule Poirot mysteries versus some of her other characters. Like I haven't really read a whole lot of Miss Marple, which is another one of her, her bigger characters like within her books. But um, I love, and then there were none, which is another of hers. Um, But that one actually doesn't have either in it. It's just like a standalone kind of book. I'm trying to think which others I've read. There's uh, murder on the Nile, the ABC murders, um, I feel like she has a lot of like shorter stories too. Yeah, I, I'm looking at her bibliography right now, and it's just a lot. <laughs> yeah, and they, they have so a much. separate section for the short story collections too. So, it, I mean, it's kind of like what Stephen King does, but way before Stephen King did it, because <laughs> she has all of these novels. And a lot of them cir- circulate around the same character. And then she has standalone ones. And then she has a bunch of sh- short stories, too, that ended up being collected at some point or probably multiple different times 
because of how long ago they were. So basically, she started writing in 1920, and her last novel was in 1976, it looks like. So that's, you know, that's a long run of books. (laughs) Yeah, She, she started writing and basically didn't stop. Yeah, and, you know, she died in 1976, which is why that was when the last book was published. And she was 85. So, you know, to put that into perspective, I believe Stephen King is 70 right now. So if Stephen King writes for 15 more years, it'll be pretty comparable over here with the volume of books. And I think the fact that she was able to take this one character to and put him in so many different situations that have so many different twists along the way is amazing. And this is coming from someone who's only read two of her books. So you've definitely read more and can attest to this more than I can. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the things that I, I did love most about her was that even though each story was different, there was this one central character that kind of ran through all of them. So it was something familiar while still like experience something brand new. Yeah, it's funny. Looking at the page here, it says the United States edition <laughs> first sold for $2. And I wish books were still $2. <laughs> Same. I would save a lot of money. Yeah, to be fair, our library nearby has a bookstore and they sell books for like anywhere from 25 cents to like a buck fifty. So I can get lots of books for very cheap and they tend to have quite the mystery section. But I've never seen any of her books there, which is slightly disappointing, but I'll survive. <laughs> I I really should go to my local library and explore that a little bit because I haven't been in ages. Highly Instead, recommend I just, doing that. <laughs> I, I just buy everything because when I once I've read a book, if I really like the book, I kind of form this emotional connection with that specific copy <laughs> and then I want to keep it. Yeah. So I buy all my books and then they sit on my shelf and I read them again eventually because um, I do. I also do reread books. So it like all, it kind of makes sense for me to buy them. Yes, you definitely do that way more often than I do. I don't know. Have I ever reread a book? I don't know if I can definitively say that I've ever reread a book. I've started a book and had to go back and restart it because I had no memory of what I read. You know, I think I got 50 pages into Infinite Jest. So whenever I go to read that again, I'm going to have to start over. I have no clue what has happened in those 50 pages. And that's, as you know, only a tiny, tiny, tiny dent in that book. Yeah. Um, I think I'm rereading the Harry Potter series for like the eighth or ninth time right now. I I just started book number two. So I reread books a lot. Yeah, you know, I saw that you were rereading one of them on Goodreads. And I was like, that book was only 300 and some odd pages because in my mind, they're all like 800 pages. I know. Well, the later ones get so long. But yeah, yeah, the first couple were pretty short. And it doesn't help either because I have like the first two or three in paperback and then the last half are in hardcover so it's like even even the book size just in my collection of them is drastically different too yeah I've always had the hardcover of those and then for the holidays this year I got the paperback set like one of the newer editions um so I've been rereading it because now I can actually take them on the train with me and not feel like I'm lugging a dictionary yeah and Going back to Murder on the Orient Express, this book is super easy to find too. Like, yes. I don't know if you would be able to go 
to a bookstore that isn't my library bookstore, apparently, and not find a copy of this somewhere because it's been published many times because yeah, I, of reprints and everything like that. Like, I don't even know what version of the book I have. I just bought a used copy on Thrift Books. And if you go to Thrift Books, you know, you can find pretty much anything there. Yeah, I, I think it's probably one of her most well known. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the most popular of her works. So it, it's been reprinted so many times. And like, I can still picture the version that I read when I was in, in elementary school and reading it for the first time. And the one that I ended up buying is completely different. And it's like a much newer version. It's so pretty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mine was a used copy. And it was like, I don't know, just under four bucks or something. So I couldn't really complain. I was like, well, it's in acceptable condition. So I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's all you can ask for. Yeah. And I'm certainly glad that I read the book before watching the movie because some things I'll make an exception. Like recently, I watched Gerald's Game, but because I'm trying to read the Stephen King books in order, I didn't want to skip all the way ahead to Gerald's Game and try yeah. to squeeze that in before I wanted to watch the movie. So I was like, all right, you know, I'll I'll let it go for certain things. But you mentioned the Harry Potter books. I certainly read all of those before each movie came out. So, you know, that that's like our childhood in a nutshell, I feel like, Harry Potter books. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm the same way, though. I like reading books before I see the movie whenever possible. Um, there are very few exceptions to that rule. But with Murder on the Orient Express, I ended up rereading the book over the summer so that when the movie came out last fall, I was ready and like had read it recently enough that I wasn't going and kind of not blind because obviously I, I still remember what the general storyline was, but I wanted to just kind of go in with more of a feeling for the different characters and who was like who each of the actors and actresses were supposed to be portraying. Yeah. Why don't we go ahead and go a little more in depth on the book and sort of get into spoiler territory here. So here's an extra warning for anyone who has listened up until this point, but we already mentioned that a murder takes place on a train and that, you know, they're all sort of in there with the murderer, but you have all of these different people from different backgrounds. And I think that's a lot of what makes the story work too, because it's not just, you know, a train full of rich people or anything like that. And yes, obviously there are some rich people on the train, but then, you know, you have some helpers and whatnot to go along with it. And you have some sort of more just regular people. I guess you could say, on the train as well. So they definitely have quite a variety of personalities for this. And I think that is really what sort of makes you a little suspicious of some people more than others, too, because you're like, okay, maybe they had something against this person or, you know, it couldn't have been, you know, the princess or whatever. Yeah, it definitely throws you off a little bit when you're trying to think through who could have committed the murder. Because like you said, everybody has these different personalities. They all have very different backgrounds. They're from different social classes as well as like different countries and things like that. So uh, even though like it, you should always go into things like this without any preconceived notions of like what people are supposed to be like, it's hard to kind of put that judgment aside. Yeah. So as you're reading it, you do find yourself like listening to the characters different like alibis and things and thinking, well, that doesn't necessarily sound right. Or like, I still think it's this person. Yeah. And then you had a count and countess who 
seem to be hiding a lot more than literally everyone else. And because of their sort of, you know, diplomatic immunity, it's like you couldn't search their luggage. And, you know, they were sort of the untouchables. And one would think that would be the princess. But, you know, she was like, "Eh, I have nothing to hide sort of thing. Yeah. She's just like, I don't care. She's a total badass. Yeah. And she's also one of the older people on the train too so she's probably like i am so tired right now just do whatever you need to do <laughs> you know i'm too old for any of this crap right? just go for it <laughs> yeah but there's certainly a long list of characters and unfortunately for whatever reason the wikipedia page was not kind enough to just list them out for me so i'm kind of just you know mentioning some as they come to mind here but is there anything about the book that we haven't touched on yet that you want to discuss no, I feel like we hit the major points. I mean, the the biggest thing about this whole book is the fact that the murder takes place on a train and they are all literally trapped together. So yeah. the, there's because of the situation that they're in, like the, the train is snowed in, they can't get out of the train. So they know that the murder is still on board. There's no way that the person could have escaped. So it just it's, it sets it up for this really kind of tense situation. Yeah. One other thing I just thought of that I want to make note of, too, though, is the way the detective works. It's like he takes his time figuring things out, but it still has such a good flow to it. It's like he has a really great workflow, (laughs) if you want to talk about it in 2018 terms. (laughs) Yeah, he does. And it works really well in terms of the books. Like one of the things we were talking about how Agatha Christie's books are all generally around the same size. Yeah. I I love the sizing of her books and because it makes the pacing that much better. Yes. Like nothing ever feels drawn out, but it also doesn't feel like we're rushing to the conclusion. It all just kind of flows very naturally and like happens when it's supposed to and how it's supposed to, which is nice. And I feel like if I were to say go to the library and check out like four or five of her books, it would be fairly easy to binge read her books too. It's like she was the, the yeah. you know, the classic binger in her day. If you collected some of her books and then read them all, you know, back to back to back there, because you can just get through them so quickly and because of all the twists and turns it's like you don't really want to put the book down either because you're like I need to know what happens next yeah they're really great like quick reads because they're exciting and like you said they're the kind of books that you end up not wanting to put down because there's all these twists and turns and you just they they keep you guessing Um, so you can literally just start going through her books one by one and not stop yeah exactly well for you I definitely recommend checking out your library and seeing if they have like a little bookstore attached or anything because I'm pretty sure mine didn't have it a long time ago like when I first started going to the library and it's like ever since we discovered it it's just been like do you want to go to the library bookstore do you want to go to the library bookstore and we've bought a lot of books there (laughs) yeah yeah I I definitely need to find some time to go and explore that because you you really can't beat like 25 cents to a buck 50 for books (laughs) No, not when I'm going to Barnes and Noble and spending 14 bucks on a paperback. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a interesting conversation to have about the price of books these days because <laughs> even sometimes we'll go on a little tangent here because why not? You know, sometimes I'll look at the price of a Kindle book and I'm like, "Why are you charging me almost $20 for a digital file?" <laughs> like it just seems outrageous sometimes and I'm like, "I'm going to go borrow this from the library ebook section instead." 
Yeah, if I'm going to spend 20 bucks on a, a book, I'm getting the actual book, not a digital file. Yeah, sometimes the Kindle version will cost more than the actual book too on Amazon. I'm like, this this isn't how this should work. But, you know, I guess I'll buy another book that I don't have room for. That's so weird. Yeah. I, I, I don't have like, uh, I don't have a, a Kindle. I don't have any kind of a tablet. Like I have no e-readers. So the world of digital books is very foreign to me. Yeah. I'm very much about buying like a physical book and having an actual book. See, I really love physical books. Obviously, I have sent you pictures of just like my stacks of books have. <laughs> that I don't have any shelf space for. But the thing about the Kindle is like, I could walk around with a hundred books in my hand. I'm pretty sure I actually have like close to a hundred books on my Kindle. It's a, it's a problem. I have a problem. I'll admit that. But it's like you know, because you travel on the train and you have to take a physical book with you. And some books are very large. <laughs> like I yeah. mentioned earlier, Infinite Jest is not like a train reading book. <laughs> no, I I always tell myself one of these days I'm going to buy Infinite Jest and like attempt it, but that hasn't happened yet. But even just trying to read through like the stand on yeah. the train was a lot. It's so heavy because it's like 1500 pages yeah. in paperback. So that that was a little bit of a struggle and definitely hurt my back a little bit. Um, yeah. But I still am always here for a real book versus an ebook. Yeah, I, I like to balance it. You know, I'll read stuff on my Kindle like when I'm laying in bed and don't want the light on. That's like the biggest plus to a Kindle that I can think of. Like, I just want to be in bed and I don't want to have the light on just so I can read. It's perfect for that. And you know, I'll check out books. Like I said, I rarely buy Kindle books unless it's like one of those Goodreads deals and it's like a buck ninety nine or two ninety nine or something like that. I yeah. am typically checking them out from the library website these days. So, you know, it, it was a good investment because then I'm not spending quite as much money on books now either. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Well, do you want to move on to the movie portion of this now? Yeah. So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, we're going to be talking about the 2017 adaptation of it. But I will note that there are, like I said, quite a few. You have the movie from 1974, which had, you know, Sean Connery, Lauren Bacall, Anthony Perkins, and some other familiar names in there. And then you have a couple of made-for-TV versions. You have one from 2001 and then another one in 2010, which is a lot more recent than I thought there would be one for. So to then do the movie again in 2017 is, you know, since 2001, there have been three different adaptations of this just here yeah. alone. And apparently there was a Japanese TV adaptation in 2015, but I know nothing about that. So we won't go into that. That is a lot in a very short period of time. I didn't realize there were that many. Yeah. And, you know, they've been done in the United States, in the UK. So different places. And like I mentioned, the Japanese TV adaptation, which I know nothing about and probably couldn't if I tried. So a lot of different places have latched on to the story and have found it interesting enough to put time and effort into adapting it to either the small screen or the big screen. Yeah. But I certainly think the theatrical releases have certainly been the most star-studded casting groups in a while because, you know, I mentioned some of the people from 1974, but 
the most recent one, you have Johnny Depp, who plays the dead dude. Yes. <laughs> so his name is Ratchet in it. You have Daisy Ridley, who is huge now because of Star Wars. So, you know, yep. to see her in Star Wars and then see her in this, I was like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm here for this. I'm here for this, though. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's really, it's a really cool contrast. Um, but I, I loved her. I, I love her in the Star Wars movies, which uh, admittedly, I'm not like the biggest Star Wars fan. For some reason, I just never got in, into yeah. them. Um, but I do love her in those movies and seeing her in Murder on the Orient Express is really cool. Yeah. And you have Michelle Pfeiffer, Penelope Cruz, Leslie Odom Jr., Will- Willem Dafoe, Olivia Coleman, who is actually also like Daisy Ridley, not from America. So, you know, they certainly mixed up the cast a lot as well, which I think with the 2017 version, it's certainly a bit of a more diverse cast yeah I mean Judy Dench is in it too yeah. and so is Josh Gad who I I mean I know Josh Gad best as Olaf from Frozen which is a like a weird connection but um and then Kenneth Branagh plays uh Hercule Poirot and also I believe he directed it yeah so like the the, the cast is completely stacked yeah and personally I have not seen the 1974 version but I imagine that one is also a good adaptation as well just because of some of the names I see that they have in there and you yeah. know a great cast doesn't necessarily mean a great movie and you know I texted you after I finally went and saw this I I'm pretty sure I went in December because I waited until I had movie pass and then I was just going to see a bunch of movies but you know it was it was fine you know I feel like because the book is so good I don't know if I necessarily even needed the movie to live up to the ex- expectations of the book or that it could because it's just like, okay, well, you know, this, this is a great book. So yeah, it'll definitely be a little difficult. And obviously, doing it in the present day, they changed a few things to they didn't modernize it too, too much. But you know, like I said, the cast was more, more diverse and everything like that. So they definitely changed a few things here and there character wise, but it wasn't so drastic that it made you think about it the entire time. Right. Yeah. I mean, as far as adaptations go, this was probably one of the more successful book to movie versions that I've seen just in general. I tend to be really, really critical when I see a movie that's based off of a book that I've read just because I want it to be exactly like the book and that never ends up being the case. Yeah. And since we've mentioned Harry Potter before already, we're going to go ahead and do so again, but with those <laughs> books, there there were so much as far as there was so much as far as the content in the books went that even with eight movies to seven books, you still couldn't cover everything that was in the book or no. the, the, that was in the books because it it just would have been like you know like twenty movies worth probably. Yeah, and the later movies were so long as it is. Yeah. Most of them ended up being like two, two and a half hours, um, even with all of the stuff that they cut out. So it's like, it's impossible to get everything in there. Yeah. But I feel like as involved as JK Rowling was in the process and everything, they got enough to keep a lot of people happy. Like, I don't really, I mean, at the time I was in high school when the movies wrapped up. So I didn't really read film reviews or anything like that like I do now to see, you know, oh, what are people saying about this? But I don't really remember any backlash on the movies or that much backlash on the movies just, you know, on the internet or anything like that. 
No, I don't. I mean, I've never been big on reading film reviews either. I tend to like to, I, I like to go into a movie with no real preconceived idea of whether or not it's going to be good or bad. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes if you read reviews first, it kind of colors your opinion before you've even seen it. Um, but yeah, I don't really remember seeing anything negative about those, those movies. Yeah. And like at, at most people complain about Dumbledore in the fourth one when he yells at Harry asking <laughs> if he's the same in the Goblet of Fire. Yeah. And I mean, whatever people got over it. If they haven't, I'm sorry, but you should probably <laughs> get over it by now. <laughs> probably. It's been long enough. Yeah. It's time to move on. With this, I actually did see people talking about it on Twitter and things like that. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, I'm I'm hearing mixed things here. And I think I even texted you about it and you were like, well, I liked it. So whatever. And I was like, all right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel better. And like I said, you know, I thought overall it was fine. It wasn't, you know, a five star movie for me. I think I gave it three stars on Letterboxd or whatever it was that I gave it. It was definitely three or three and a half one of the two of those but I'm betting more than likely three because you know like I said it's just something where the book is so good it's probably going to be hard to get any other medium to live up to the source material yeah I will say though that just like from an artistic stand standpoint it was a beautifully shot film yeah like absolutely gorgeous just the way they framed everything was really nice and like the scenery was really cool and I loved the way they laid out the train and I I just I thought that like visually they did a really great job and because they're in such a tight space too especially when you're in the sleeping quarters it's even tighter because it's like literally a fairly narrow hallway and you have the sleeping rooms on each side so to have so much of the action happen in there too and you know they're going through people's luggage in there and everything like that it really worked out well because I feel like well you know I'm no film major or anything but I feel like tight spaces like that are probably very very difficult to film because you have to get the framing just right to be able to get everything you want in the shot in the shot you know yeah yeah but they they did a really good job of it yeah, and even though there were so many people that I recognized in this cast, they still had people that I was like, I've never seen this person before. So they did a great great job of getting a bunch of these big names. And I didn't know who Johnny Depp was playing going into the movie. And to have them kill Johnny Depp in a movie so quickly, it was a little shocking, too, because I was like, oh, well, he's gone. Okay, I see how it is. <laughs> Yeah, he comes and goes real quick. Yeah, so it's definitely interesting how they chose to cast it as well, because they probably could have made it so that it was just one of the lesser known actors who was Ratchet and who was murdered. But the one thing we haven't gone into yet is we have not totally spoiled the ending yet. So no. why don't you go ahead and do that for everyone and let us talk about the big twist. So... The the way the murder is committed is um, he ends up stabbed in his bunk in the middle of the night. And it's multiple stab wounds. I think it's 12, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. And each one is of varying severity. Um, and they kind of alternate between being left-handed and right-handed. So 
everybody's kind of wondering who would have committed a murder in this way, because it's not really typical for somebody who's stabbing a person to switch hands midway through. And also, if you're stabbing somebody that vehemently, I, I doubt there's going to be some knife wounds that are shallower than others. Um, so in the end, it comes out that they all kind of took a turn stabbing him um, in the middle of the night. Everybody sneaks into the cabin at different times. And they all kind of work together to orchestrate the murder. Yeah. And in the movie, it's almost like they had them lined up and they were sort of just rotating in and out in the compartment and everything. So it's definitely one of those things where you get the news that, okay, this person has been stabbed a lot of times and, you know, there have been shows like Criminal Minds and whatnot that go over you know, if you stab someone X amount of times, you're going to get tired at some point. And there have been people who have like stabbed someone so many times they just passed out next to the person. And it was one of those things where you're like, okay, if someone stabbed someone 12 times, they'd probably be pretty tired. But then again, it happened, you know, in the middle of the night. So everyone was tired. (laughs) So that isn't helpful information at all. And then to have it be right-handed and left-handed, you're like, okay, now what are they trying to do? And you're under the impression this entire time that it's a single person. So you're like, none of this makes any sense at all. No. And they drop other clues as well to kind of throw everybody off. There's a handkerchief that I think might have gotten left by accident. Yeah. As well as a pipe cleaner. The window is left open. Uh, there's a mysterious figure in a red kimono that, right? A red kimono? Yeah, it was like a a red sleeping gown or whatever it was, and they were running down the hallway. Yeah, but nobody sees the face. There's uh, somebody in a train conductor's uniform that nobody knows who it was, and none of the train conductors, because there's like a button found in the compartment to somebody in the room next to the victim uh, claims that somebody was in her compartment at some point in the night and it doesn't line up necessarily with the timeline that they're establishing. So there's just a whole bunch of things that are, are put together to kind of throw you off the the trail of the actual, like, who did it and, and the actual, like, solution to the, the whole mystery. Yeah. And once you get the solution, you're like, okay, this makes total sense. But who would think that 12 people would stab one person, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and especially because, like we were saying earlier, everyone comes from all of these different, like, social backgrounds and different countries, and they're all, like, varying economic classes. So it, it doesn't seem like it's the kind of group where they would be working together. Yeah. And then to top it off, they all know each other. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's a little suspicious when in the middle of winter, you have a train that full too. That was one of the things that I think the detective brought up fairly quickly because there almost wasn't any room for him on the train. So this took an immense amount of planning on everyone's part. It's like, okay, we all need to be in this city on this train on this day And then to have the detective piece together how each person knows each other and why they know each other. It's just really fascinating to have all of this happen. And we already covered, you know, the book not being super long. You would think with all of this information that they give, 
the book would probably be like twice as long. It might have been if it were a Stephen King book, but you know, that's that <laughs> besides the point. And you're just getting so much thrown at you at once. It, it can certainly feel overwhelming too. You're like, okay, I need to sit with this and think about this for a minute. Yeah, it can be a lot. Um, there are points in the book where Poirot is, is himself sitting down and kind of mulling over everything that he's heard. And in those brief periods within the book, I, I kind of found, found myself doing the same thing where I was sitting and trying to digest everything that I had just read through to figure out what exactly it meant. Yeah. So basically how all of the people know each other is they all were involved with this same family in the United States. So they had come from all over. And if you think about it, the United States is a very likely place for people from a bunch of different countries to meet, especially I believe it was on the East Coast somewhere. And, you know, you go to New York and there are tons of people from tons of different backgrounds there. So yeah. it's certainly plausible that this would have happened. Yeah. And they each, m most of them hold a different job within the household. And then some of them are actually family members. And some know the father, I believe, from the war or something like that. So yeah. it, they aren't necessarily all in the United States when they know the family members. And it's just amazing that, you know, that much planning would go into something for this one guy and to have, you know, Hector McQueen get the job with Ratchet, too. So it, this was like years of planning, kind of, because I believe McQueen had been with Ratchet as his like assistant secretary person for quite some time before that specific trip. Yeah, I want to say it was about a year, if not yeah. more. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of planning goes into it. And they all kind of work together to put this whole thing together. But I mean, the reason that they're doing it is because he murdered a child. And with yeah. the murder of this child came the the deaths of the parents as well because the family just kind of fell apart after this child was gone. So I, I mean, I can, I can understand the anger because these people, their lives revolved around this family and he just destroyed them. Yeah. And they also basically have the detective picking apart each person and figuring out what role they would have played with that family too. Because if you just, you know, if you take the princess for instance, instance it's not obvious what role she played you know she's she's a princess and you have a count and a countess and you have these high-ranking people and you're like okay what how are these people connected to the, this random family in the united yeah, states <laughs> yeah and it, it turns out that the princess is the godmother of the the mother right i think it was something like that because the mother's sister was an actress and i think that's how the princess also knew the family and the yeah, grandmother was the actress. Yeah. And that was how the princess knew the family. Okay. The grandmother, not the sister. Yeah. See so many things <laughs> to keep straight. Even when you read the book and watch the movie. Yeah. Sister ends up marrying the count. Okay. There was a and sister. Yeah. So it is certainly crazy. So is there anything we missed? I'm sure there's probably something here or there, but it's, you know, a fairly, simple scenario. It's like, okay, people are on a train, man is stabbed, someone on the train did it. You know, it it's 
straightforward in that sense, but the way Agatha Christie wrote all of the twists and turns along the way to have it be the entire group of people other than, you know, the detective and some of the workers on the train was pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, does that wrap it up for us today then? I think it might. Awesome. Well, Becky, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. I know you know, these episodes haven't been quite as long, but sometimes it's just nice to quickly run through a topic. And like we said, the book wasn't super long. The movie wasn't super long either. It wasn't like one of these two and a half hour movies. So that's also refreshing, too, because I feel like in a world where we get a lot of movies like Star Wars and, you know, Wonder Woman and a bunch of the superhero movies that are becoming longer and longer, it seems, it's just nice to get in a quick movie that's totally different than everything else even though it's already been done so you know i thought it was a decent adaptation and the book is certainly worth reading if anyone has not done that but has watched the movie and for whatever reason you're still listening to this yeah (laughs) so you know that's it for today and becky i'm sure you will be back on i know we have discussed potentially doing episodes for the Harry Potter books, which I think if we did that, we'd have to do one for each book because there's just so much to unpack there. And I know yeah, we I have did, to break it down. Yeah, I know I did an episode on the movies as a whole. And I feel like that's a little easier because if you sit and watch all eight movies, it would still take you longer to read all seven books, probably by a decent amount, unless you're some sort of speed reader, which I am not. <laughs> No, I, I when I was younger, I used to kind of speed through stuff. And nowadays, I find myself taking my time more because I feel like there's so much that I missed when doing that. Yeah, I, f- I feel like it depends on how I'm feeling about the book. Like if I'm like, okay, I kind of get the general idea of this book. So I'm just gonna make my way through it. And sometimes it's easier to actually do that with nonfiction books, because you might already know pieces of the story here and there. But then with fiction books, you're like, okay, let me slow down, take my time. Yeah. All right. Well, Becky, again, thank you. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.